Today's edition to hear that podcast, Ground, presented by Visa Network, working for everyone. Paul Andrew Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic, here working for you on divisional playoff weekend. Bengals-Titans, 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time at Nissan Stadium in Nashville. Here we are, Jay. We're almost there. Yeah, it's getting close. I, I can't help but think, is this the last podcast of the regular season or... Do we have a bunch more in store? Is this is the season going to continue beyond Saturday? You know what's funny is uh, you get so used to, you know, and certainly in here in recent years, as the the year gets closer to an end, you you work ahead on your end of season stuff mm-hmm. and and some of the you know roster look aheads and free agency and draft and all the stuff that you do. Um, I've kind of in my head started to work that stuff up, but I haven't actually sat down and been willing to start putting it into a file form and, and starting to write any of it out, whether it be free agents or whatever. That's stuff that we'll obviously get to as soon as the season ends. But it's like, yeah, but am I just wasting my time? I've got so much other stuff to do. Am I really going to dive in and starting ahead on uh, on the offseason? Not yet. I have not actually taken it out of my brain and into a file that will be uh, that will be that will be published onto the website uh but so that shows you where i'm at i'm still kind of i'm all all full speed ahead here on this season i have no idea what you're talking about with this work ahead concept that is totally (laughs) foreign to me sometimes and then sometimes uh dane brugler just drops a two-round mock draft on you and you got thoughts (laughs) and so that's up on the site too and we every Every team, every beat writer has a reaction to the picks that Dane did. So even though we're in the playoffs, still took a little time to set it aside and talk draft. For the draft junkies out there who are like, you know, these playoffs are exciting, but let's talk draft, <laughs> right? Something for everybody, okay? Plenty of news to get to. Uh, we will uh, we'll run through all of that here. We um, have Joe Rexroad from Tennessee down in Nashville. Uh, Jay, you talked to him with a lot of great insight on where the Titans are, where Derrick Henry is, what this game, they hope it will look like from a Tennessee perspective, really important stuff as we kind of get some insight from there. Uh, we're going to talk about the style of play of this game. What is this going to look like? And, and uh, some historical con- context, and then, you know, kind of spinning it ahead to what that means for Saturday. I think there's a really interesting contrast in styles of play that's going to take part here. Uh, Robert May from the Athletic NFL show is going to join me. Usually we flip around the other way. Me or Jay will be up and, and joining Robert on the plethora of shows that they have on sort of our NFL flagship um, that he does with Nate Tice, with Lindsey Jones, with Mitchell Schwartz. Uh, but he comes out and talk a little bit about a little bit of the national view um, of the Bengals and what they're doing and of Joe Burrow and also uh, of the rest of the AFC picture and the rest of the playoff picture and maybe where the Bengals fit into that. Fun conversation with Robert. Uh, then we'll get into your run passer boots. We've got three run passer boots today. Got a growler bet. And of course, our predictions for Saturday's game. Uh, Jay, let's run through some news here. Um, good news, I would say, on mostly on the injury front, and that starts with Trey Hendrickson, uh, who has been progressing well through the concussion protocol, was a full participant. 
in Wednesday's practice, so he looks good to go for Saturday, and that is a huge lift. Also, Josh Tupo was limited both days this week, so at the very least, no regression, looks closer to him maybe being able to play and give you something uh, on Saturday. So the defensive line, of course, we talked earlier about Joby going on IR, Mike Daniels being out. Gets a little bit of lift from a Tupo return. They also had two signings, the uh, most notable being signing uh, Zach Kerr, who's a defensive tackle. He's a massive man, 335 pounds, uh, from the Arizona practice squad. He signed to the 53-man roster, so I would expect him to probably be up uh, on Sunday. Maybe not, but at least in the mix to maybe be up on Saturday. Uh, he... It's not some kid off the practice squad, Zach Kerr, with 95 games, 16 starts in his career. He's been around. And I think it's clear that's what they were looking for. We talked about they were going to be finding some bodies this week. They were looking for people with experience, not somebody that they haven't seen. They needed tape that they thought they could believe a little bit in. They also added Doug Costin out of uh, Miami of Ohio uh, to, to the practice squad. He played in 13 games with nine starts for Jacksonville last year. So another person that has tape, has played, not just some prospect, some kid off the street, kid off the street. And I think that's important to when they're trying to figure out how to re-put together this defensive line, guys getting healthy and find some people with some real tape. Yeah, and I think it, it, if you're talking about the the best position for position group for someone to come in off the street and play right away if needed, that might be it. Defensive tackle. I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to say that it's there's there, there, it's it's all physical and you don't have to have any mental aspect or knowledge of the game plan. But that is a spot where you can go in, especially the run the run plugging aspect that they're looking for. It's it's not ideal, but if 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 you had to have a position group be in this kind of shape, defensive tackle would be the one you would pick. And and I do think that the Josh Tupo thing is interesting because he he is one of the more underrated guys on the team. He's he's not a pro bowler. He's he, he's just a solid run stopper. He has had a a good year for for what he is a backup rotational defensive lineman and it's it's interesting you think about it the the two guys that opted out last year Josh Tupo and Isaiah Prince have come back this year and played fairly important roles with Isaiah now and there is a starter on the line and and Josh Tupo getting a decent amount of snaps when he's healthy on the defensive line that that would be a big deal um if they can get him back and, and then you also have this depth that you've added. You you feel a lot better about at least maybe not stopping Derrick Henry, but having bodies to cycle through there and keep guys fresh so that fourth quarter Derrick Henry doesn't look like fourth quarter Derrick Henry typically does. I mean, I still think you're going to be leaning heavy on DJ Reed yes. and BJ Hill. I mean, just because these are people uh, doesn't mean that they're going to be good to go in there and play, you know, their bodies. Uh, but yeah, they do have some experience playing in the league and you do feel like you can maybe get a game or two. They're not going to go in there and be like, what is this NFL world? I mean, 95 games, mm. 16 starts for Zach Kerr. The interesting thing is, you know, he he's he's bigger. He would be more of a Tyler Shelvin. It kind of makes me wonder, will Tyler Shelvin be active? I'm going to assume so, but I mean, you bring somebody in and sign them to the 53, um, there's a chance that maybe he just comes in off the street and plays over Shelvin. Here's the thing. 
I don't, they don't sense a lot of happiness with Shelvin. And the fact that he hasn't been able to get um, off the inactive list tells you something because they've had opportunities to get him run. And when he did play against Cleveland, he didn't play particularly well. I mean, PFF had him like a 28. Uh, you know, you're so if you think that they're just there's not a lot of confidence, I mean, maybe Zach Kerr comes in and plays and your inactives include Tyler Shelvin. That wouldn't be much of an endorsement on Tyler Shelvin, but you know, maybe he doesn't deserve endorsement. He, he wouldn't deserve an exit interview at the end of the season, whenever it does end, because that would be his exit interview if they pull a guy off the street and play him over Tyler Shelvin. The message would be loud and clear. Uh, get your act together, get yourself in better shape, and come back next year stronger and ready to play. Yeah, because, I mean, this theoretically, when you take Tyler Shelvin in the fourth round, like this is the game that you take him for. Playing the Titans, you're going to be loading up on big boys in the middle and trying to knock it out physical. Theoretically, this is what you had in mind. And so for the idea that this dude has just blown that opportunity to come in and fill that role, I don't really know what's going on there other than, yeah, some some come-to-Jesus moments coming in your future. Um, but we'll see. So that'll be something to watch on the inactive list. Uh, other inactive things, you know, what will happen? Jalen Davis, full participant. I think he probably will be back this week. I don't know if we'll see. Maybe Vernon Hargraves falls back into inactive. Trey Waynes doesn't end up inactive, right? No, no, you need. I don't him in think a- so. He, he's a he's a fourteen million dollar gunner. Yeah, you're gonna need him, and he's need, not even a full time gunner. They've only he's he's in there occasionally <laughs> on on punts. But you yeah. you need that guy in case there is an injury. You want to you would feel more comfortable putting him in there. And I do think Jalen Davis gives you more on special teams than Vernon Hargrave. So I I, I think that would be the, the move there is uh, Jalen Davis more likely to be active than Hargraves. And Jalen Davis, more of a slot guy. I know we kind of mm-hmm. saw that where if something happens to Hilton, you have more of a direct replacement with Davis there. Um, Janoris Jenkins popped up on the Titans injury report with a foot injury, just out of nowhere, totally out foot injury. Um, Ian Rappaport tweeted yesterday they think he's going to be okay. Uh, we talked to Joe Rexrow, but that was sort of before that happened. Uh, we don't really have – so we don't have any boots on the ground on that right now. As we record, we'll know more later today. Maybe he does end up being okay, um, but that's notable to keep an eye on to see what exactly happened there and what is going on there. Because uh, you know, in a game where you're expecting Burrow to try to light up the secondary, um, to lose, you know, one of your t- top two corners would be a significant loss uh, for the Titans. Yeah, and it, as Joe points out, you'll hear later it, it, the fact that he wasn't listed as limited; he was limited as out meant, means it was something that happened on Tuesday. So maybe it was just a precautionary thing where they they held him out. We'll know later today when the injury report comes out. It'll be telling whether he's he's questionable or not listed on that report at all. Um, I did make a list of animals that I would you, you put me on the spot with the with Jack Rabbit <laughs> Jenkins the other day, and uh, I was a little bit taken aback by it. You know, an alliterative animal. Because <laughs> I refuse to call him Jack Rabbit. Jack Rabbit. The man's name is Janoris. Uh, but if I was going to do an alliterative animal, here's my list. Uh, number one would be Dragonfly Daner. Uh, two would be Dugong Daner, which I wasn't super familiar with until I got a look at him. I like the sound of it. Uh, Dalmatian Daner. Dingo Daner. 
for my Australian friends. And all the way down at the very bottom of the list, all I know is the bottom of the list is donkey daner. Hashtag no donkeys, right? That's all I, I'm saying. I thought Just, you would pick dingo with your, your your love for Seinfeld. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. Yeah, no, I, I thought about it, but I, the, the dingo's kind of, you know, Dumbo, yeah, it sound dingo, yeah. dingbat. I don't know. It all feels <laughs> not great. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking, I'm sticking with my choices. I think Dragonfly sounds badass. I'm going with it. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Let's talk game, and I think there's no better place to start on the game here specifically then uh, with inside up from the Tennessee side. So let's get to uh, your interview with Joe Rexroad uh, down in Nashville. Joe, how are you doing? I'm great, Jay. Um, looking forward to this game uh, very much and to seeing you guys down there. I think we're going to, I think we're going to have a good one. I do too. I, I think there's going to be a lot of good ones this weekend. Um, but it, a lot of times the first one of the weekend kind of is the, the one people aren't looking forward to. But I, I think this one's really, really intriguing. And it, it, it maybe got a little more intriguing on Wednesday when, um, Titans cornerback Jackrabbit Jenkins missed practice. Uh, what, what do you think the plan would be there if, if that, or do you think that will affect him for, for Saturday? And if it does, what do you, what, what would be the plan there? Yeah, well, it's certainly it's not a good sign that he's a, a total DNP here um, uh, in this in the practice on Wednesday, and uh, so you know, obviously, the Thursday injury report will be will be crucial. See if he can get back out there, get it back going. But clearly, it's something he uh, got this week. I mean, he was a full participant Tuesday, so um, you know, so this is obviously something new. Um, it's very fitting for the Titans. You know, there's a lot of talk about, wow, what a sh- small injury report. This is incredible. And I was like, you know, someone's going to get hurt this week. And so, uh, and so there it is for the Titans. And, and if, you know, Jenkins has had an up and down season, but that would still be a big loss uh, for the Titans. If he's not able to go, I would expect Buster Screen, well-traveled veteran yeah. Buster Screen, um, to take his spot on the outside. Screen has worked inside and outside, and you know, again, like the Titans of just about every group has had some some injury issues. Um, and he's been a really nice pickup for them, uh, and he's be- become like a a pretty reliable fourth corner. But certainly not ideal for the Titans if, uh, especially against this offense and these receivers, if they've got to go a full game with Buster Screen on the outside. Yeah, I, I, he did. He started a, a few games uh, just last month, didn't he? Screen. Um, I, yes. Yeah. And in the Bengals, no. Yeah, I mean, he's been pretty good. And he he played in the in the division before, so none of it was way back before any of these Bengals were on the team. But he, you're right; he's a well traveled <laughs> guy. Um, the the big news, obviously, is is Derrick Henry. Um, just curious, what your thoughts are on on where he's at? I mean, I, I think all signs point to him playing on Saturday, but do you get any indication if he's if he's going to be going out there limited at all, seventy, eighty percent? Is he is he hundred percent? And either way, do do you think he gets a full load, or do they kind of split some time with him and Foreman? Well, I mean, I would I would call him a hundred percent, Jay. I mean, it's um, I mean, you watch him running around and everything. You know, look. I mean, he's he's several weeks past now. The timeline for a typical healing, a timeline for the Jones fracture. Um, of course, he has a. You know, he's got the screw in the foot now. 
but he doesn't look any different. He doesn't look like he's gotten out of shape at all. So I think, I think he's a hundred percent in terms of health. Um, now what you don't know is, is there any kind of, you know, mental effect? I mean, obviously a player has a serious injury and sometimes there's, there's just some kind of limitation or hesitation, maybe overcompensation, you know, and, and another kind of injury. I mean, there's always concerns like that. And then game shape and all that stuff. I mean, I, I think the Titans will probably split time with Henry and Deontay Foreman, who's been very good, has uh, 300 yard games in the last six games and has, you know, done a better job than anybody could have guessed filling in for him. And, but, but I'm still blown away that he was just, out there available, by the way, after watching him play. But the way I look at it is if this game is is a fourth-quarter game, and I'd be surprised if it isn't, then I think it's going to be hard for the Titans to resist doing what they usually do, which is just give him the ball as much as they can give him the ball in the fourth quarter. I mean, he just he leans on defenses, he wears on defenses, and uh, if he's up to that, then I think it may end up looking like a regular day's work by the end of the day. You know, I imagine a lot of teams go at the Titans with the same mindset where they're just going to load the box and, and try to do anything they can to slow down Derrick Henry. I mean, how often do the Titans say you're you're not going to be able to do it and still slam into that big front? And how often do they, they just kind of go the other way and just let Tannehill throw it around? Well, the play action game has certainly been effective, you know, with with, uh, with this combination of players. I mean, since Tannehill took over and the offensive line got better, you know, going back to the 2019 season, like Taylor Lewan missed the first four games um, uh, for, uh, you know, for PED uh, suspension. And then Marcus Mariota was still the quarterback. Once they kind of put it all together, got Lewan back, got some other linemen kind of going, they've been a, a devastating play action team. And so they, you know, they mix it up and try to keep defenses off balance. But yeah, there's still a fair amount of, well, give him his carry here, give him, you know, get one and two here, and one and two in the first quarter becomes four and five in the fourth. Um, you know, every game it seems, yeah, teams certainly. I, th- I think every defensive plan essentially in, in recent in the last couple of years has been you just can't let him kill you. So what you see sometimes you see loaded boxes and then when you when you do have an extra guy in there like that sometimes well once he gets to the second level that's one less guy to take an angle on him and mm-hmm. and he can just outrun everyone. So that's one, you know, ob- obvious concern there. I mean, he totally changed the Buffalo game this year for example with a 60-yard touchdown run, you know, and it's just a little scene when he's gone. Um but early in games, you see teams, you know, these defenses are so pumped up to stop them. They hit them hard. I've, I've at long advocated, like, don't give him any carries in the first quarter, you know, because that's <laughs> when everybody's fresh and likes to take shots at him. He takes way harder hits early in games than late in games. But it just seems like, you know, the wear, the wear and tear of, of, a, of a game. And he just seems to be in better shape and able to kind of push that pile forward a lot better as the game goes on. Maybe they have that luxury on Saturday, and they do stick Foreman in there in the fourth quarter, and then kind of bring him in as the closer after that. Uh, you know, the, both right. the coaches in this game are kind of up there in that that realm of possibly winning Coach of the Year. But I'm I'm curious, you know, if if the Titans go one and done in the playoffs for the second year in a row, what what's that conversation like down there? Does it does it start to get uncomfortable, or is this? organization fully behind Vrabel with the with the great job he's done so far 
Yeah, no, I don't think it gets uncomfortable with Vrabel. Um, it would be a massive disappointment uh, because mm-hmm. you know they they thought they were going to beat the Ravens last year and they and they didn't. They didn't play their best, especially offensively. That was a really disappointing offensive day. The defense actually kind of played beyond what it had done during the season, and and they still didn't get the win. So no, I mean I think Vrabel is is cemented himself. I mean. This regime, John Robinson um, as GM and, and Mike Vrabel, of course, they fired Mike Malarkey a few years ago after he won a playoff game at Kansas mm-hmm. City, and and Vrabel was kind of the like this you know unproven. Yeah, everybody knew him from his playing days, but you know he's had one season as a coordinator and he gets the job. But it's it's been it's been pretty impressive. So certainly, I think there'd be a lot of discontent, but um, you know, I think Vrabel. I think Vrabel proved a lot this year, frankly. One thing is people were very unhappy with the decision to promote and then stick with and then stick with Shane Bowen as a D coordinator and give him the title this year. A lot of people wanted him to go outside, go find, you know, go find a Dan Quinn or somebody, you know, and, and bring him in. But Vrabel's huge on promoting and I mean Bowen has been really good this year. It kind of this year has sort of um, you know, validated that decision. Um, and then just, you know, the 91 players they've used, it's well documented. It's been pretty remarkable. You think about Derrick Henry missing all the time he has, they go <laughs> six and three without him, but then all the other injuries and just kind of random guys, some weeks, just making a big play here or there, you know, and then, and then it's like, okay, see you later. Thanks for playing. And you know, <laughs> you're off to somebody else's practice squad. Um, pretty, uh, pretty remarkable to see how that all came together. And I think you got to give him a lot of credit for that. You know, if if the Bengals do win, then then Joe Burrow becomes the the twentieth player since the NFL merger to win his first two playoff starts at quarterback. Um, do you have any idea? I'll, I'll I'll give you a quick trivia question here: Who the most recent quarterback was to do that? The most recent quarterback to win first two playoff games. Boy, that's a um. Would it be Mahomes? Uh, no, it would be uh, Ryan. No, because he lost his second one. Yeah, really, it was Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so I'm just curious. You know, he you look at his numbers this year, and his his interceptions have doubled. Uh, obviously, one more game this year, but he's only thrown 50 more attempts. I'm just what what has been kind of behind that this year, and um, do you know? Does it do you feel like he is a quarterback that can take them to the Super Bowl? Well, and the last thing, yes. I mean, I think um, if they are operating at at their best and they have who they need on the field, yeah, I definitely think he's good enough to win a couple games. Um, uh, is is he, uh, you know, the elite top tier guy who can take whatever ragtag group and and drag them to a Super Bowl? No, but you know, that's that shouldn't be what he has to do here. Um, and and as far as his performance this year, it certainly. Uh, the shine's off a little bit. The honeymoon's over for Ryan Tannehill. I mean, his first two years were really amazing how well he played, but he had a lot of things in his favor. He had Derrick Henry. He had the play-action game working so well. He had really, like I said, going back to 19, the offensive line was a mess early. It all kind of came together, and all of a sudden they were really good up front in the win at New England, the win at Baltimore in the playoffs, and into last year. His pass protection last year was excellent. Even when Taylor Lewan tore his ACL, they figured it out. The pass protection this year, for a variety of reasons, has just been bad. I mean, I believe he's the second most sacked quarterback after Burrow, hmm. and some of that is Lewan kind of struggling, uh, fits and starts coming back from the ACL. 
right guard Nate Davis has had a bunch of stuff. I mean, really, everybody on the offensive line has has had a bunch of stuff this year. Roger Saffold plays every week with a shoulder that probably I, w- I would assume is going to get repaired after the season. So that's one thing. And then, you know, the receiver injuries. He's had some weeks where, you know, uh, he, he had a four-pick day against the Texans. And I believe two of those picks were probably directly on rookie Des Fitzpatrick, who was not supposed to play it all that day. He was on the active roster, uh, but then they lost Marcus Johnson and A.J. Brown. All of a sudden, he's the guy Tannehill is throwing to in the fourth quarter, and there were some route mix-ups. And, you know, again, you make excuses, and you can have a story for every pick. Bottom line is I think he has pressed at times. Um, I think he's tried to probably do too much, especially after the Henry injury. The play action hasn't worked as well. Um, a lot of things in there. Ultimately, his last 10 quarters, starting with the second half against San Francisco, have been a lot better. Uh, he's taking care of the ball, but he's still making some, you know, some tough throws, getting rid of the ball, uh, playing a lot better. So I, I feel like he lost a little bit of confidence maybe in there. Mid-season was a little bit lost. A lot of stuff wasn't working as well around him, and I don't think he responded as well as he needed to. Yeah, we haven't even talked about the Tennessee defense yet. It's pretty good. Um, You look, it's impressive. I mean, they they beat Mahomes and Josh Allen in back-to-back weeks, and then two weeks later they beat Matthew Stafford. And I'm just curious, if was there something – was there a similar approach to the way they they kind of attack those top quarterbacks, or, or how do you expect them to to go after Burrow this week? Yeah, really, those especially. I mean, I would say the two top performances were against Kansas City and, and L.A. Um, and now, granted, Kansas City was not playing well then, so you got to keep mm-hmm. that in mind. Kansas City was kind of a mess around then, and they struggled for a few weeks after that too. So. I still, I kind of look at that game and it's like, man, it's just like, that's if they were to see them again, or, you know, like it's hard to say, look at a 27, three game, like that would not happen again, but the pass rush was, it was all about the pass rush. And, you know, they signed Bud Dupree to a big deal. Another guy coming off an ACL um, and he took some time and he finally had to shut it down early in the season. That was the day that he looked like the guy they signed and he had a strip sack of Mahomes. He also had some big plays in the game against Stafford. The the L.A. game, which is the first game without Derrick Henry, that was, I mean, Jeffrey Simmons just dominated that game. I mean, he wrecked the game, and he's capable of that. So it really comes down to four guys who um, are just, when they work well in tandem, I mean, you could argue it's the best part of the team. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, Simmons, uh, Dupree, Harold Landry, who had 12 sacks, and then Danico Autry, I would say, was the best signing the Titans had in the offseason, you know, for, for the the money they paid him, about seven a year, he's been tremendous um, and tied his career high with nine sacks. So that's that. That's the total change. You know, when the Titans came to Cincinnati last year, of course, I remember you and I talking in the press box, like, you know, how these guys are going to block for Joe Burrow. They're already not a great offensive line, and they were all banged up. And, of course, the Titans got zero sacks that day. Some of that was Burrow doing some Houdini stuff. But yeah. still. Uh, they were a putrid pass rushing and pass defending team. Jadavian Clowney, Vic Beasley. So they've changed that over, and that's where they're most different from the last matchup to now. Yeah, plenty, plenty of concern on the Bengals' end from that standpoint because the offensive line is still not very good. Burrow sacked 51 times this year. Um, I, you said it. I, I think this is going to be a really interesting game. Really looking forward to seeing it. And uh, can't thank you enough for for hopping on the podcast with us today, Joe. Well, thank you, Jay. Great being with you. Can't wait. And you know, you you got my uh, you got my number two for food wrecks. So you know, just <laughs> let me know. I'll be using that. <laughs> 
Okay, I just want to say one thing about that interview, and and really one of the reasons I went into print journalism as opposed to broadcast journalism is because I do trip over my words sometime, and I, I it was a poorly constructed question about the the Mike Vrabel situation. I, I wasn't trying to suggest that that he would be in any sort of trouble if they lost this game. I was just I was wondering what the conversation about town around town would be um, if they lost for the second year in a row, uh, one and done at home, uh, not. Will there be some tough conversations in the front office about keeping Mike Vrabel? Obviously, they're keeping that guy and a decent chance he wins coach of the year this year and the, the votes are in. So it doesn't matter what happens on that front in terms of on Saturday in terms of him winning that award. Yeah, you know, two coach of the year candidates going mm-hmm. up uh, against each other. Um you know, along with Matt LaFleur in Green Bay, who got, ended up getting my vote. I ended up voting for LaFleur in the PFWA Awards, but it was I very close. All right, let's just take a quick break. All right, let's talk about this game uh, in specifics here. And, you know, we we know what Tennessee is going to be. We know what they're going to try to look like. And, you know, I often... I'm like pre-writing in my head what some of the stories might be if they, a game goes a certain way. And you can absolutely see the jump off to the Bengals offseason story here. Bengals get beat because they just don't have the trenches yet, right? You know, whether it's the offensive line uh, not able to do it or, or, or the defensive line maybe not able to hold up to the level that you, you want against the run of – but uh, it's about – one more round of solidifying the trenches being the di- potential difference in this game, right? And and you'll probably be able to say that no matter when they would lose, if they do lose, of course. And is because that is the weakness of this team, but it, it does seem that it's like, okay, the, the team that is built to exploit this uh, is is right here in front of you, this one thing that, that maybe is the concern uh, of the entire roster. There you go again with this pre-writing in your head stuff. I guess that's why I'm always the last one out of the press box. But I, <laughs> I, I guess yeah. I mean, I agree. This is that it, it's kind of been the the concern all year. Is can the offensive line give Burrow just enough time to do what he needs to do? And they have so far. And this, I mean, Tennessee has a very good pass rush, but I don't think it's anything that the Bengals haven't seen so far. What what you worry about is if if Tennessee does jump out to a an early two score lead and the and the Bengals almost have to completely abandon the run and and then that that Tennessee pass rush can just pin its ears back and, and come after Burrow. And again, this is a team Tennessee is a team like the Raiders. They do not blitz a lot. And I went back and looked their games against Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Matthew Stafford, the best quarterbacks they faced this year. They they blitzed even less than than their already low number. So I I don't think we're going to see them come after Burrow in that regard. I think they're just going to rely on that front to try to get home. That's an important thing here is, you know, 
Tennessee very much like the Raiders. <laughs> the Raiders were almost in another level with their lack of blitzing. They just mm-hmm. never do it. They did it twice in, in the game uh, this past Saturday. But expect something similar here because teams are always doing less blitzing in their average against Burrow now just because of what he has done over and over again to teams that have tried to blitz them. The difference between the Titans and the Raiders is – the Titans have not consistently gotten pressure with the front four. Okay. Uh, True Media has some stats. You know, against the pass, the Titans blitz at the second lowest rate league wide. And without blitzing, they create a pressure at the NFL's fifth lowest rate. Now, that's great news for Burrow because we know when not blitzed and not pressured, this is more True Media. Burrow ranks first in yards per attempt, which he ranks first in yards per attempt league-wide, but despite checking out at 23rd in air yards per attempt, which means you're giving him time, he's not afraid to throw it underneath, and his guys are yakking. And you know what that looks like. It's Jamar Chase. You know, you're dropping back. He's not afraid to throw underneath you if you're going to drop coverage, but you better get home. And the Titans, as a whole, have not. And so you know what that looks like if you've watched this team this year. That's how Burrow can carve you up so much is going to come back. A team that doesn't blitz, that doesn't force it, um, is about one-on-ones up front. And this is not as scary as last week was in that respect. Yeah, and and the other thing is we, we always talk about pass rush, and it's always the opponent against Burrow. And it's kind of equal footing and that the, the Tennessee has a great offensive line as run blockers, but you heard Joe Rexrode mention it. Ryan, Joe Burrow sacked 51 times this year. Ryan Tannehill's number two on that list at 47. I mean, teams have been able to get to Ryan Tannehill and the Bengals with getting Trey Hendrickson back is huge. And it's the same kind of thing. If the, if the Bengals can get a lead, I don't think you're going to see Tennessee completely abandon the run, but when they do, pass i think that bengal's defensive line is banged up as it is can get home and uh, and get to Tannehill and and affect the tennessee offense that way and if you can get a play like you got last week from trey hendrickson mm. and you can get a strip sack it is the absolute game changer all right so i've talked about turnovers i i, I you know my favorite thing to do jay is is to find Similar situations from recent history and just look for trends. See, I'm going to tell you, I have never visually seen anything quite as obvious as what I pulled out this week. It was startling. It was. I went and looked. Divisional round, last 15 years, um, just looking at teams going on the road who are dogs of 2 to 4, right? Very standard setup for a divisional round. You're you're going on the road to a division winner that was a ranked higher seed. Usually that's about a 2-3-4 uh point spread. So similar setup to these two teams that you that you have in this game. And I looked at that all of those games and the results and I also had turnover margin. All the teams that lost There were 13 results that came back over the last 15 years. All the teams that lost were even or on the wrong side of the turnover margin. All the teams that won were in the positive in the turnover margin. That is five wins, eight 
losses for the team in the Bengals spot in this situation. That's it. That's the game. Like when you have teams at this level that have the amount that have done played to the level they have to get here. That's the difference. And you know this, and this is no secret uh, about how these teams play. The Titans are 10 and one in games where they have an even or better turnover margin. Burrow, 10 and one in games where he has even or better turnover margin. Like, this is it. That's the game. Don't turn it over. Continue to do what you've been doing offensively, but don't turn it over. Don't give Tennessee short fields opportunities to swing that one score. And that's the difference in the game. It has been for 15 years in this setup. Like, I, you know, I don't normally always give history, like the game changes, things are, every situation is different. That's startling. 13 examples, and they all look exactly the same. You know, I, I, I was kind of on the same page with you. I, I love, divisional round football it's probably my favorite weekend of the year um first of all because we're never working now we're working but (laughs) (laughs) but i I love i love the idea of the really good teams rested against a hot team um because usually the teams that play in the wild card round had to kind of fight to get there and then they won a first round game and they're moving on and there's it's the volume. I mean, conference championship Sunday is great, but you you get four games on divisional weekend instead of two. So I, I've got kind of a roller coaster set of stats here. The, the the first one is in 14 of the last 16 years, at least one home team has lost on divisional weekend. So you look at the four games this weekend, and I think you, you feel pretty good about this. This could be the one. That the other thing that works against the Bengals in this fav- in this regard is I just looked at the number one seeds on divisional weekend. And over the last 10 years, they're 16 and four. The, the, and if you think about it, the way it's set up is the one seed always gets the worst remaining seed. And because the, the wild card teams, the, the road teams have won so often recently, they're usually getting a six or a five seed coming to their house. And so I think that's what plays into that 16 and four record over, over those 10 years, when a number one seed plays a division champion, they're three and three. And that's, that's a division champion that has won a game and is kind of on a roll going into, into that division round game. And and the one I found really interesting, you you talked about point spreads and you you included first and second seeds, this is just the fourth time in the last 10 years that a one seed has only been favored by three or fewer points. It's the, some of these numbers are huge. And you look at the, the teams that won and upset number one seeds, green Bay upset Dallas in 2016 as a five and a half point dog. Baltimore upset Denver in 2012 as a nine point dog and the giants in that famous game against Green Bay, they were eight-point dogs. And so for the Bengals to only be a three-point dog on the road against a number one seed, this this game is just built to be a close, down-to-the-wire game. And if if you're looking at at history, again, this is another one that works in the Bengals' favor. Teams, since 
night since 2016. Sorry, I'm stumbling right here, but three times in the last five years, a team has done what the Titans are trying to avoid, and that's going one and done at home in back to back years. It's just it. I don't know what it is, but it there's going to be a lot of pressure on Tennessee after doing it last year and getting a a Bengals team that is hot coming in and kind of that that point of that question that I stumbled over with Joe Rexroad. It's going to be a bad look if they lose at home one and done two years in a row. Um, so I, I think that works in the Bengals' favor that Tennessee might be feeling a little bit of that pressure. They might be, and you know. Why might that be happening? You know, last year you have the Titans at home in the wild card weekend losing to the Ravens, AFC North. Um, I think there's an interesting, you know, breakdown of okay, is, is you, oh, you run the ball to win in the playoffs, right? You gotta come on now, you gotta run the ball to win in the playoffs. And I just, I am, I just don't buy that. I don't think that's the way this league is. I under, We see years where it does kind of look like that, where you will see teams really grind their way through and, 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 and win. And you've even seen years where the Chiefs, I mean, that year where the Chiefs were running in a ton, mm-hmm. even with Mahomes and, and, and finding a way to help them, you know, win games. And New England did too. And that's fine. It, it happens. I, I just don't think it's really what matters. And when you go back through the divisional round, how about this one? Ten straight divisional round games have gone to the quarterback with the higher yards per attempt. Passing efficiency. Yeah. I mean, I've been – the anybody that knows about this league has been talking about this forever. It's not about volume. It's not about running the ball. It's, it's about passing efficiency. 10 straight, 28 of the last 32 playoff games have gone to the quarterback with the higher yards per attempt. If you got Joe Burrow, leader, NFL leader in yards per attempt, who's on an all-time heater, and you're not turning it over, if Joe Burrow plays the way that Joe Burrow has been playing, this team should win this game. I say that straight up. I mean, I really feel that way. Because that's the difference. Now, there are some exceptions when we talk about these divisional games and playoff games. Uh, one exception is the Titans and Derrick Henry running all over New England in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't quite, you know, they Tannehill wasn't as good as Brady that day, but Henry went just absolutely bananas. So, yeah, if there's a team that can buck that trend, this would be the one. Without doubt. I mean, they're set up. That's what they're, how they can win those games. That said, though, for the most part, the Burroughs of the world will beat the Henrys of the world. The key is you can't give up play action. Tannehill to A.J. Brown breaks one tackle for a 75-yarder. They, those are the backbreakers that, that really kill you. You know, you, you just you can't let them really have you going both ways. They, they need to be more one-dimensional, even if that one dimension is pretty effective. You know, you, you mentioned the, the Tannehill versus New England game. I had that trivia question for you last podcast about the last quarterback to win his first two career playoff starts, and it was Ryan Tannehill. Um, he was eight of fifteen in that game against New England, and then the the next game when they beat Baltimore, he was seven of fourteen 
So in his first two career playoff starts, he had 15 completions. I, I think Joe Burrow might have 15 by halftime on Saturday. You, you might be right about that. Um, speaking of Burrow, I, I wanted to bring one more thing uh, with him. You were talking about, I mean, everybody knows the moment's not going to be too big for that guy. Uh, but he said something this week, a couple of things this week um, when he when he spoke that were notable. You've probably seen or heard them by now. But I, I, for people that just listen to the podcast, I wanted to make sure you got there. There's, there's two in here. Uh, one is a question about him seeing the way the city responded uh, to the victory. And then a second question that followed uh, as well. Um, that kind of was a, almost kind of a follow up to that that I cut up. That is actually a little bit was a little bit later in the press conference. But uh, here's here's Joe Burrow just to just to to make everybody you know feel that that feel good feeling about him one more time. Yeah, I think the fans were were very excited, but you know I tried to downplay it and, and all that because this is. You know, this is how it's going to be from here on out. You know, this is a great win for us, but you know, this is the this is the standard for you know the the bare minimum every year going forward. Joe, when you've got when you've got a lot of games that are high leverage games like you have for basically the back you know last couple of months, what's the biggest key to sustaining a level of consistency that y'all need to win on a week in week out basis? Stay level headed. You know, I was you know we could feel the the intensity and energy in the locker room for for the playoff game, and I was trying to remain calm and get everyone else to remain calm as well. And we hadn't been in that situation for a long time, but the key to performing in those kind of situations is treating it like every other week. You know, if you, if you go out and in warmups and are super intense and, and wear yourself out, you're not going to be able to sustain that in, into the fourth quarter of these, these high intensity games. So at least that's, that's the way I think about it. I know some guys are, you know, treat game days a little different, but you know, if I go out there in warm-ups and I'm rah-rah, you know, yelling, trying to get the fan, fans fired up, I know I'm going to burn out in the fourth quarter, so I try to stay even-keeled. Jay, I know it's been a, been a while, but do you remember when you, like, first started dating your wife and, like, every day they just give you another reason to just be like, I'd love you, right? Like, <laughs> you're in that early stage and, like, every time you see them, you're just – I feel like what – like, Burrow's doing this right now with the city. Like, Burrow is – like, it just seems like he's on this run and just – the city is just – so smitten with this guy, and he just every time gives him a little something. I mean, th- these two were another perfect example why this team is so different. And you know, this is the bare minimum. <laughs> okay, this is the this is what it's going to be. Get used to it. Okay, enjoy your big celebration now. I'm doing this every year, and you just watch him, and you're like, yeah, I believe that guy. I th- I think he's. I think that's true. And I just think he, that is not about, you know, it goes back to the story I wrote last week about human dynamics and human interaction. And he has this innate feel for it. He has that in the locker room. He has that in the message he wants to put out. And he has that in just kind of making the city just fawn all over him. He's, he, he really does. And you can see how, you can see how everybody follows him and how they, how he did that at LSU too. Yeah. I mean, it's, Part of it is just genuine who he is, and part of it is kind of planned to, to to get the message out. And it's a great analogy with with 
when you when you meet your wife because it's you, you think oh I couldn't love you anymore and then something happens and and you do and it it's it's believing him and believing in him and it's just it it feels the Bengals aren't looking at it this way it feels like a house money situation yes everybody's thinking way beyond this weekend but there's I don't think there's anything that can happen Saturday that that would sour this fan base. I, I think it's going to be, even if it's a double digit loss, um, they don't look good. It is it is going to be all roses and optimism and, and starting to look ahead to 2022 already because it's just he's. It, it doesn't feel like a, a one time thing. It feels like, as he said, this is this is the standard. This is what it's going to be every year. So it's a bold statement. For, for a franchise that hasn't done that in 31 years and just did it for the first time. But there's no reason to doubt that guy. He just has that he just has that presence about him that, like I said before, you, you believe what he's saying and you believe in what he can do. Yeah, I mean, you hear him talking about, look, I, I noticed it in the locker room and I was trying to keep everybody calm and relaxed and understanding, you know, and, and – it's noticing that, seeing that, not being so into the, the things on Burrow's plate are insane, and and seeing that in the moment, and understanding that, and you know, we talked about him running out of the tunnel, straight face jog, like it's just um, that's just more of the same. And I would expect more of the same as the stage gets bigger, and that includes Saturday at Tennessee. All right, I want to dive a little bit more into that about Burrow, national perception of the Bengals and a little bit of a broader view of the of the AFC here. Uh Brian, our, our our good friend uh from the Athletic NFL podcast, um, which you should be subscribing to now if you're not, uh Robert Mays. So here's uh my conversation with Robert Mays and then we'll come back and we'll do run passer boots and growler bets and get into game predictions. The Bengals are the story now, so we're going to flip it and go the other way and, and bring in Robert, host of the Athletic NFL Show, which you you should be subscribing to right now. It includes shows with Nate Tice, with Lindsey Jones, with Mitchell Schwartz, rotating cast of other luminaries. Uh, I hope you're subscribing to that. If you're not, go do it right now. Robert, what's up? Not a lot. Not a lot. Exciting times for you guys over there. I, in the moments before the game started, just seeing the stadium and seeing the energy there and the fact that it was packed before kickoff, not a single person meandering in halfway through the first quarter. Immediately, I was upset that I wasn't there. Immediately. (laughs) I was so excited to go because those kind of exorcism moments, those moments are really cool. You know, I've been to some of those where you just kind of feel these demons leave a body. And I was at the Minneapolis Miracle and just the the moment that Stefan Diggs ripped his helmet off, it's just all of this playoff torment that the Vikings had been through. You could just kind of feel it dissipate away. I was at the NFC Championship game where the Eagles beat the Vikings, that same Vikings team. And, I mean, you should have seen South Philly like in that moment <laughs> afterward. It was the only time I was genuinely afraid that I was going to get home safely from a stadium. And it feels like a similar type of deal and a similar type <laughs> of mood was permeating that riverbank in Cincinnati, and I'm a little bummed that I had to miss it. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, the COVID's everywhere, man, and uh, it took you away from a special moment. But the thing is, though, like, I got to say, 
when when the Bengals hired Zach Taylor, um, and they were in a coaching search, and there's a lot of teams in coaching searches right now. The idea was recreating the Rams because what the Rams did was create cool out of nothingness, literally. I mean, to a new city with no fan base and everything, and McVay showed up, and suddenly the Rams weren't this homeless, what, eight and eight, Jeff Fisher, anything. Suddenly they were the cool, awesome place to be, and nobody even remembers that. The same way people don't remember some of the lean years of the Patriots before Brady or any of these teams that have had reclamation projects. And it's like, well, how do you do that? At a certain point, it's only about winning, but really it's about having that true belief. And I thought this season has been that, but really Saturday was the culmination of not just the streak going away, but the vision and national perception of the old Bengals going away. Am I seeing that incorrectly as someone here locally in the city? Or do you feel like on a national side, it it, it feels like that too? Because that has tangible effects when you start talking about free agency. You start talking about players wanting to come play here and, and, and surround themselves with that. It, do you feel like on the outside, that is the view now of this team? I think it's going to have to be, you know, when you have that guy, when you talk to players, you know, their free agency works in a pretty simple way. Whoever pays the most gets the players. It's not any more complicated than that in most situations. It's kind of the first time I ever had a player lay it out to me like that, where it's like my agent told me where I was going. It's like, oh man, okay, <laughs> well, I guess that's how this works. Yeah. So the Bengals have helped themselves in that regard because they're willing to open the checkbook now. So that has already shifted things. And when the money is fairly equal, when there is kind of a level playing field between two contenders, the quarterback often wins. So if your quarterback can change the perception of your franchise, if your quarterback is somebody that people want to go play with and is a projector of stability, I guess is what we call it, a place where, all right, they've, they've got their stuff together, right? Because their quarterback is going to be there for a while. That goes a long, long way. So the fact that the Bengals are willing to get in these bidding war tussles for these guys and Joe Burrow is the type of player that people want to play with, people would want to keep playing with, that's a really good way to change the perception of your franchise to outsiders. It's funny, I remember DJ Reader, who's going to play a huge role on Saturday against the Titans, said when he was trying to make his free agent decision, his agent said, well, Broncos and Bengals are basically your two teams. Do you want to bet on Drew Locke or you want to bet on Joe Burrow? <laughs> and, uh, DJ it. Reader, we, we see how he feels about that bet now. And now you have that guy going up against Derrick Henry and the Titans on Saturday uh, on your side. It's a huge deal. One thing I want to ask you, you and Nate do such a great job of diving into uh, uh, really in, in the weeds of quarterback play and really of, of every every aspect of uh, of the league. But I'm curious what your guys' conversation has been like and your thoughts have been around what stood out about Burrow's ascension, particularly as this season has gone on. What what has really stood out when you guys start kind of you know diving into that conversation? I think it's just the assuredness and what he's seeing and how fast he processes because of that. You know, it you watch that game the first half. I went back and I watched the, the game last night that they played against the Raiders and just how quickly he's getting some of those balls out to Chase. And I think that Chase being there has been such a huge part of it. And you know, I there's so much conversation this spring about what a receiver can do, receiver value, offensive line value. You know, I was never on either team. I just thought that when you look at the history of it, top ten receivers, you can usually get guys other places. And I think that his comfort level with Chase has really helped transform that offense in a way that I didn't give enough credence in the early parts of the discussion. I mean, you watch that game, 
they're not doing the craziest stuff in the world. You know, it's not like, oh man, what a cool play Zach Taylor just ran. It's a lot of where's Jamar? How far are they playing off of him? If they're playing in his pocket, can we throw a back shoulder, beat them over the top? If they're playing soft, can we work underneath? And his rapport and understanding of how exactly to take advantage of that receiver has been a huge part of it. It's allowed him to play fast. It's allowed him to play more aggressive, right? So he's going to the right places consistently with his eyes, with the timing of things, but they're also pushing the ball down the field in the way they didn't before. So I feel like it's just this combination of solid process most of the time, a change in mindset in part that's driven by having a receiver that's a game-breaking player that he really trusts, and three, the, my favorite part about watching Joe Burrow in college, by far, was the subtle ways he could extend plays and how that pocket mobility allowed for explosive plays all over the place. And that is a translatable skill. If you have a feel for what it looks like when there's people around you, what it looks like in muddy pockets, how to navigate those scenarios, that's something, it's like route running or tackle breaking ability. Those are things that translate from level to level. And that's what he is. You know, you think about some of those play. I mean, Max Crosby had a nice day <laughs> last week. He didn't dominate the game because every single time he would win an inside move or you know somehow get penetration immediately, Burrow would just escape. And his just feel for how to handle those scenarios is so innate and so rare. So I think it's just a combination of all of those things, right? I mean, you have this guy who is a really, really good second reaction player, but also can play on time and on schedule from the pocket and now has a reason to be aggressive and an offense that will push the ball down the field the way it could not last year. Yeah, we, you know, we've talked about it quite a bit on on the podcast about, you know, really the change for Burrow came in that San Francisco game when it became really apparent he had refound that confidence in his pocket mobility back there after the knee. He was playing all year, but he wasn't really LSU pocket presence or even last year pocket presence Burrow until you got really closer to that point in the season where you'd see him with that instant reaction to either take off or just to subtly move across or get into that. He gets into that athletic position in the middle of the pocket and you can tell he's like trying to figure out what to do and and, and, you know, that really didn't totally exist early in the season, and they tried to protect him in that way. And what's happened since then has been kind of the blossoming that you would expect of a, play, a player of his level in his second year. It just it was a little bit of extra of the injury, you know, kind of ripple effect through the early part of the season that stopped that. The other thing I want to ask you here, you know, you got a good view of the national, um, you know, the overview of the AFC here. I'll start – I'll start with the Titans, and then we'll get into all four AFC teams remaining. What's been your view of Tennessee um, this year, and and what kind of you know what kind of chances do you give them, you know, to make a real run, and then on Saturday? I feel like their defense is so much better than I ever thought it would be coming into the season, and it's for reasons that are sometimes hard to predict, right? I mean, Christian Fulton is a young guy for them who's really taken a step forward. And the fact that he is a reliable outside corner for them now is has really mattered. Elijah Molden has come in and been a really nice presence for them in the slot as a rookie. Jeffrey Simmons has taken a step forward. Those kinds of progressions from your young, cheap players is what really matters when you're trying to build an NFL team. And I think that you combine that with 
Kevin Byer playing like a star, Amani Hooker having the best season of his career. You know, they go out and get a really good stopgap corner in Janoris Jenkins. It there are no weaknesses. You know, you look at their defense, it's like where's the guy you can really pick on? And you have a hard time coming up with it. I think that Byard is a star, right? I think he's like an all pro level player. Other than that, it's just a lot of above average to good players all over the place. And I think that's a really good recipe for a defense. You know, they're a top 10 unit and I just did not expect them to be that this year. I did not expect them to be carried at times by their defense. They are going to make it hard on whoever they're playing against. You know, they are, they run a variety of coverages. They don't blitz very often. They have a very good front four. It's in a lot of ways. Honestly, it reminds me of the Bengals defense. I think that they're the players on the back end. I think Bayard is better than anybody the Bengals have, even though I think that Wuzier has had a really nice season. But it does remind me a lot of the way that Cincinnati plays, where you don't necessarily have this overwhelming star power, but you have a group that's going to make it consistently difficult on you. And that's what the Titans defense has been all season. And then offensively, you know, their numbers on the year aren't indicative of the type of team they are, right? I mean, they've been hurt all year. And it's not just been Derrick Henry. It's been A.J. Brown at times. It's been Julio Jones at times. The offensive line has been relatively healthy for most of the year, but they've had stretches where the left tackle and the left guard are out. Now the right guard is out. It, all of these kind of moving parts. And when you rely on that line so much to be the type of running team they want to be, you take out one or two of the component pieces and it's not going to look the same. And I feel like right now, they're as healthy as they've been all season, right? I mean, they're should be ready to go and that's why i think they're dangerous because if the defense is playing at a top seven type of clip the way that they are right now and they're going to make it that hard on you and the offense still has that gear to them you know i don't think they're going to be the third they were like the third most efficient offense in football over the last two seasons they're not that anymore i think that arthur smith had a really good handle on what he wanted that unit to be they just again little tiny component pieces like Corey Davis not being there, John Smith not being there. This is what happens when you start to pay your quarterback $35 million a year is that the ancillary pieces start to diminish a little bit. So I don't think they're going to be that, but if they can be 78% of what they were over the last couple seasons, now that everybody is back, it's not a fun team to play. Even if they maybe aren't the true number one seed that we've seen in years past. Buffalo and Kansas City do you have both of them above the other other side I mean with Definitely. the way Allen is playing and Definitely. Mahomes being who he is one two clear one two there and then kind of a whoever comes out of the other side at this point Definitely. Yeah. Uh, well on the other side I think that the Packers at full strength are a scary proposition and I think so I think that right now I'd probably have the Bills and the Chiefs a little bit higher than anyone in the NFC, but the, I think the Rams at their best are really good. I think the Rams have more holes than a team like Kansas City or Buffalo does right now. You know, just this is that type of year for them. You lost Troy Hill in free agency. You lost John Johnson in free agency. You know, Jordan Jordan Fuller's out for the season now. You know, they've had to rely on some more unproven players in the secondary. So yeah, that's how I would probably stack it up. Is I think the Buffalo and Kansas City are the two best teams with Green Bay, and then the other NFC teams are probably a step down from that. With with Tampa's just injuries on offense. You know, the receivers being down. We'll see what happens with Werfs. I think their defense looked really good last week. They're playing against a different beast this week in the Rams than they did with the Eagles. So, and with the Bengals being like a step down from those other teams in the AFC, that's okay, 
right? Like this is what this year was not supposed to be a Super Bowl season. If they end up falling short, that's okay. This was supposed to be a can we take a massive jump season from where we were, from being one of the worst teams in football over the last two years, and they've done that, right? So I don't want to – I understand you want to win every game, and Bengals fans are going to be sad if they lose this weekend. But the fact that they're not in the same tier of a team that's been to two straight Super Bowls and a Buffalo team that is as all-in as you can be, right? Like this was supposed to be the finishing stroke on the Bills' Super Bowl recipe this year, and they've done that. They have created that sort of team. And I think that's why right now, understandably, they exist in their own little world when you look at the AFC teams. I mean, the Bengals, to me, are the view of the Bills of the last two years, right? Where they're just a couple strokes sure. away. Where they, I mean, they have the most cap room of, of all the playoff teams and have the, the chance to create that next next stroke with the, all the young components that they have. Okay, so the la- last thing real quick, and I'll get you out of here, is if the Bengals were to beat the Titans – who should they be rooting for in Buffalo, Kansas City? Or if it doesn't even matter, you know, it's just like that's just going to be a tall task. I tend to land on it's going to be a tall task either way. <laughs> right. And I think that the reason that I am leaning toward Kansas City is that we've already seen it. Right. We've seen them go toe to toe with them for an entire game. And I think that one of the advantages that the Bengals have against the Chiefs team that other teams might not is the Bengals are going to go at those corners. If you're going to play that style and you want to be aggressive, we welcome it because we're willing to take those shots and we're willing to take those shots into tight windows and really force the issue. And, you know, I don't think that the Bengals are going to gain like 50% win probability through penalties again if they end up playing the Chiefs, which is really important. But I do think that you need to take advantage of a team that plays like that. If you're going to have a team that plays physical on the outside and you don't take shots, you're playing into their hands. So I think that the fact that we've seen that the Bengals willing to play that style of game against a team that plays defense like the Chiefs, it bodes well for them. And the Bills aren't like that. You know, the Bills are not going to give you three or four pass interference holdings over the course of a game from their secondary. It's just not the same style of play. So I, I tend to think it's still the Chiefs just because we've seen it happen. We understand that the Bengals have a grasp on what that recipe needs to be. But I wouldn't want to play either one of those teams. No, no, not 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 the way that Josh Allen looked. Uh, against the Patriots, that's for sure. Otherworldly stuff. Robert, I appreciate it, man. And for everybody that isn't, you should be either on the app subscribed or uh, just listening for the daily, all the daily goodness that comes from the Athletic NFL show with Nate Tice, Lindsey Jones, Mitchell Schwartz, many others. Uh, It's there every day for you. And, uh, you know, and I'm sure we'll be back debating roster building again, just like we were last offseason. I think maybe we can say there's I wonder, I actually wonder, and this is a conversation for another day, how much the reverberations of Chase over Sewell and what it has meant for the Bengals have on the way teams do roster build as they go forward. Because it was such a debate and so many people on different sides. Now that you see maybe the way that it can look when it pans out, how many teams will follow suit? I don't know, but the Bengals are hoping a lot because they need offensive linemen still and they'll take as many as false to them as possible. I think a lot of teams will follow suit and a lot of teams will regret it. You're exactly right. I think because there's I, only one Jamar Chase. Like there's that, just there's only there's one Jamar only Chase. One time and there's it's only the perfect fit. There's plenty exactly. of other receivers I, I, out there on that list that have come and failed. <laughs> yeah, I, you go look at the uh, Dolphins trading up for Jalen Waddle and, yeah. and what that has meant for their offense this year. 
Maybe they could Jaylen use Waddle's, Panay Sewell at this point. You know, they certainly could. I, Waddle they was took a really no heat nice for that. Player. How did they take no heat for that? Waddle's a really nice player. I I, I like watching Jalen Waddle. The Dolphins had one of the worst offenses in football this year. But nobody mentions that. It's one thing to pass uh, on Sewell for Chase. It's another thing to pass for Waddle. But I'm going to leave that for another day and another time because the offseason, we have plenty of time to talk about that in the offseason. For right now, I am happy that I can have you on to talk about an actual game on January 20th, which is nice. So it's thanks, Robert. Every single time, whatever means watching and talking about Joe Burrow. So I'm good with that. (laughs) Appreciate it, brother. We'll talk to you later. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Always great catching up with Robert uh, and who I would have loved to have seen last week, but unfortunately he couldn't make it down uh, to Cincinnati. But uh, maybe we'll see him again in the in the very near future. We shall see. Um, All right. Let's get into some run passer boots. Got some good ones here. We got three of them. Okay. Now, we've got two reader, listener submitted that we wanted to get to that I thought were very good. Uh, So we're going to start there, and then, Jay, you have one, too. So let's start here. This one from Luke Manning, who sent this via via, uh, email, and I love it. Uh, Which scenario is the most likely to end in a Bengals win? The Bengals are down two with McPherson at the gun from 54. The Bengals are up two with Bullock at the gun from 44. The Bengals are down four with Burrow having the ball first in goal from the nine with 30 seconds left and no timeouts. That is quite a trio. Jay, what do you think? I, I can hear Randy Bullock saying, Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. I don't <laughs> and I and I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it to Randy. So I, I I'm gonna go the other way. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna run with McPherson down two with the win. We've just seen it too many times this year. Um he's he's kind of got that little bit of burrow about him where The moment's not too big for him. He stays calm. Um, He's not as accomplished as Burrow is. But I I, I think even though he's a rookie and this would be a huge spot, I I wouldn't worry about nerves or anything along those lines. So I'll run with that. I'll pass because I could see it happening. Fourth and nine from the from the or fourth and goal from the nine. uh, Burrow finding someone for the game winning score, and and I'm going to boot Randy Bullock. I just I don't want to do that to the guy. Okay, so for mine, I'm 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 with you. I'm just looking at it from a purely mathematical perspective, though. I mean, McPherson, we know nine of ten from fifty plus in the year. The wind off the South Bank is the only one uh, that that he missed. That, that's a high number. And then I'm, you know, going Burrow next. I mean, it's it's a lower percentage chance when you're playing offense down there. Even though even though you're down goal to go, that's still. There's still a lot of times you don't succeed in those situations, no matter who the offense, no matter who the quarterback, you love Burrow in that situation, but still, Randy making a kick from 44 is a high percentage number for a kicker. So I'm with you the same way. I'm going to say a pretty good chance that Randy makes that kick, even though people, CZ calves and all, uh, maybe think that he chokes it away. Uh, he did just make one against San Francisco from about that range for a win uh, just a few weeks ago. So uh, I'm going to do the exact same as you, McPherson, Burrow, and then I'm uh, 
done with Randy on that one. Uh, okay, next one. Brock Petrie sent in this run passer boot. It is Derek Henry rushing yards, Burrow passer rating, or McPherson's longest made kick plus Randy's longest missed kick yardage. What are the highest numbers? People picking on Randy here. Um, what do you think, Jay? I'm going to run with Burrow passer rating. I'm, I'm kind of with Joe Rex Road on this where – you know, maybe it maybe they do limit Derrick Henry a little bit and, and mix in some foreman and um and I do think the Bengals will I mean they've been they're the number five run defense in the league. I, I don't think they're just gonna get trampled. Um and even if they do, even if Henry gets up in that one thirty range, maybe maybe Burroughs got it in him to to have a one forty type of game. Um I, I just think the odds are better that Burroughs gonna win that one. Um, I'll, this is hard because really McPherson can make a couple fifties and a couple forties and he's up there and Randy not miss at all. Um, but I'm still, I don't, I don't know. I don't think Randy's going to have a horrible game. I'll, I'll pass on the Henry rushing yards and I'm going to boot the kickers. I, I like, I like that mathematical formula. I can't wait to, to add that up at the end and see where it goes. Cause it could be all over the place. Randy could miss a couple kicks, and McPherson could not kick one at all. Burrow could just be dynamite in the red zone. So that could actually end up being a negative number. Um, so that I, I'm, I think that's an easy boot. I cannot get past the kicker storylines in this game. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. And it just feels like a game where a kick being lined up is absolutely going to be the difference, doesn't it? Yeah. And and for it to be Randy and then the kicker you drafted who's been so good, you know, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And and this is the type of stuff that happens when you get into the playoffs, but the, the concept of this kind of dynamic being at play is just – it's just wild. Uh, I, I am going to – I'm going to run – I'm going to run with Henry. Um, and that's not a knock on Burrow. I just think he's going to have a big day. I think they're going to run it fairly successfully. Uh, you know, I just, I, I could, I think he'll end up in that 130, 140 range. I really do. Um, but I don't think Burrow will be that far behind him, but we got a pick. So I'm going to, I'm going to say Burrow not too far behind him. Burrow in the like 115 uh, area. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to boot the kickers. There's, there's a good chance that, that, you know, there's not a miss from Randy there. Um, Okay, Jay, you've got one. Yeah, uh, this is – it involves Henry again because he is the story of this game, it feels like. Um, which will be higher than their season average? Be Derrick Henry rushing yards, which is 117.1. Will it be Joe Mixon rushing yards, which is 75.3? Or will it be Joe Burrow passing yards? Which is two eighty eight point two. I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna run with Burrow passing yards here. I'm gonna pass on Derrick Henry's rushing yards, and I'm gonna I'm gonna boot Mixon. I don't I don't think it's gonna be a very successful day for the run game. I don't know that people realize it's been a long time since Joe Mixon's had a good game. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a bit about this in Twib this week, but you know, you go back and you got to go back a, a long way to see. I mean, you got to go back to Pittsburgh to find a game that Mixon had better than 3.8 yards per carry. I mean, through the first 12 weeks of the season, Mixon failed to cross 3.8 yards per carry only three times. But he hasn't done it since Pittsburgh. That was November. Okay? It, their run game has really struggled. And it struggled against the light box again. This this old issue is back uh, from early in the season. Where it's, okay, their, their passing game is forcing people into the light boxes, mixing with one of the most carries against light boxes. He's top three or four in that spam. Yet the lowest yards per carry. All the way down at 3.6 with a league average of 5.3 in those situations. They are not punishing teams for trying to stop Burrow with dropping guys out of the box. And they just haven't. So I wouldn't expect a line that plays as well against the run as Tennessee does to have that much of an issue with a Bengals running game that just isn't quite getting it done, at least not mixing. Maybe, the, And that's why you, I think you've seen more of the cute stuff lately. The Jamar Chase end arounds, Boyd's, and they've done more of that stuff trying to get something else going on the ground because the pure run game has just not been there. I don't think it's going to be a very good game for Joe Mixon. Yeah, he's tempting because that number is so low. And and you could see that it would stand to reason that maybe that's the best chance for for value there. If he has a big game, he would crush his his average, but I don't see it happening either. I think I, as I'm thinking about this, I feel like we missed an opportunity here because we could have paired this runner passer boot with our growler bet and, and said, what would the winning number in this run passer boot be? Because I, I don't think Derrick Henry, I think he, he could have a good game, but I don't think he's going to trounce that, that 117.1. Um, so I'm, I'm going to run with Burrow too. And even there, I could see that being just a tick over 300. I don't think anybody, any of these three, are going to get blown out of the water. I, I think anybody that tops their average, it's going to be a fairly low number. So, but I'm, I'm going to run with Burrow passing yards, pass on Henry and boot Mixon just like you did. All right. All right, Jay. Growler bet. I want to first, before we do the growler bet, I want to shout out <laughs> uh, listener Andrew Bax and his buddies who apparently are doing their own growler bets that they're not submitting to us, but they are doing them amongst themselves. Some of his buddies that are actually Browns fans, he's got them paying attention to Bengals growler bets, which is just fantastic. But one of his buddies got it exactly correct on the time of the CJ Uzama touchdown last week. Sent me the spreadsheet and everything, which it could be, you you could have put the numbers in later, but I believe you. I believe you. But you never submitted it to us. So... So close, you get nothing from us. However, you get props. Pretty awesome. And thank you for uh, being so um, into the growler bet. I love that people are into the growler bet. We've uh, we've got one for you. What are we going to do this week, Jay? What are you thinking? I still I still can't get over the fact. Why would you not submit it to us too? I mean, you can play your own game, but why not send it in to us too? You, then you could win beer and accolades from. All your we've got to be is a CC on the email. Yeah, that's it. It's easy. Should be easy. All right. Uh, for this week's growler bet, we are going to go with the length of the game's longest drive. And we're talking in terms of time elapsed. 
not the not not six play 75 yards 75 is a number it's it's how long the team will possess the ball on the game's longest drive um you could see derrick henry having one of those drives where he just kind of runs it runs runs and the clock runs 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 and it being a long one uh the the bengals have given up six drives this year of longer than six minutes so that that's kind of the range you're looking in uh what's your guess paul all right, I will say 829, which, of course, is a prime number. Of Eight course. 29 seconds. I do, think there will be, I do think there will be at least one really long grinding drive. It could be a Bengals drive. I mean, it could be mm-hmm. a bunch of short underneath passes from Burrow as the Titans try to take the explosive play away. You could absolutely see that, but I'm, I'm saying 829. Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit shorter. I'm going to go with my palindrome 717. I, I do think we're going to see a fairly long drive in this game, and I'm with you. It 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 could be on the Bengals' side. It could be what we saw them do. I think they took over with 7:55 left in the in the second half against the Raiders, and they almost they had a shot. If that 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 the whistle gate play, if that's a first down instead of a touchdown, they've got a chance to run that clock out right before half and make that a seven minute and 55 second drive. Um, but uh, I'll go 7:17. I think that's. That's where one of those teams eight's, – eight's a lot. That's a long drive. Um, but we have seen the Bengals do it, and we have seen the Bengals allow it. Okay, Jay, moment of truth. This is what the people scrolled to the end for. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate all of you that actually listen to the entire podcast and don't maybe go to the end just to hear the predictions. But we know that's, we, we know some of you just show up, get your growler bed in, and listen to what we say about the prediction. It's fine. I'm okay with it. I mean, I'm hurt, but I get it. Uh, all right, Jay. Mine is written down, and I'm actually almost kind of already on the record about this, but I will let you go ahead and go first. Um, well, I might make some people upset, but I, I'm going to give you a caveat. I'm I'm going to pick Titans. I'm going to go Tennessee, twenty-four to twenty. But the last three times I've picked against the Bengals, they've won. So you can wow. thank me for so that. So you're saying this is what I think, but I might not be so smart. Uh, well, yeah. If you, <laughs> that's not what I was thinking, <laughs> but you, but you are absolutely correct. <laughs> <laughs> I can't because I care, of course. Uh, okay. I mean, I I had predictions before the playoffs started, playing out the entire playoffs uh, in, in TWIB before last week. And I had the Bengals winning last week, and I had them beating the Titans in Tennessee this week and going to the AFC Championship game. La- nothing that I've seen thus far has changed my view of that. I still think it's a quarterback league. I still think they have the be- the quarterback that's playing the best. And I think that matters more than anything else happening in this game. I don't see a world where Joe Burrow comes out and doesn't play great, or at the very least, doesn't come out and plays great when they really need it. And I, I have the Bengals winning 27 to 24, McPherson from 52 at the gun. Wow. Burrow drives him in the last two minutes, takes him down. Perhaps, I don't know if there's going to be a Randy miss at some point in the fourth quarter that plays out, but I feel like Burrow drives them. McPherson from 52 at the gun. 27-24 Bengals is my call. If that happens. It's a quarterback league. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. If that happens, who carries Evan McPherson off the field? 
Is he, is Joe Burrow have one leg over his shoulder or is it, is it Clark and Kevin? Who's most likely to carry McPherson off the field if he kicks a game winning 52 yarder? CJ? Yeah, I think that's a good one. CJ and I mean, first of all, by the way, the shooter video, just the little clip that Bengals Social put out (laughs) is so great because we obviously the shooter thing has been going on, but we don't know how they've been doing it because the normal shooter is shooter and he kind of shoots from the hip. Well, they apparently are doing the shooter thing where they put both hands up in the air when they do it. (laughs) So CJ does it in the video. Then there's this like two second pause and all of a sudden here come Clark and Kevin who do it way over the top and it's hysterical. I got to credit them really owning the shooter thing uh and i'm in, i'm really in, enjoying that and also uh anxiously awaiting the cj uzama mic'd up which is always entertaining yeah i can't wait for that i i would think it would have been out by now but uh yes i i, I am sure the Bengals will will put that on their social as soon as it's ready and i've, I've never looked for, more forward to a mic'd up should be good um all right so what's next jay and i will have the walkout for you saturday night from Nashville. Uh, I imagine a lot of you are probably making the uh, trip down. And so if you see us, say hello. Um, we'll have the walkout for you. And then, of course, we'll be back with our same schedule. Uh, live room on Monday and uh, Tuesday, we will have your your walkout. Maybe it will be a preview. Maybe it will be an off-season preview. We don't know uh, what we'll be previewing next week, uh, but we'll be looking ahead to something. Uh, all of that coming your way. Plus, tons of stories up on the side. Content overload. Um, Twib with a, a ton of different um, nuggets all over the place. Jay, you've got a story on the history between Jamar Chase and Christian Fulton, which is going to be a really, really fun uh, piece coming. And uh, plus everything else we've got. Uh, there's just a ton of stuff on the site. So hopefully you check all that out. If you're not a subscriber, please do. Go to theathletic.com slash hear that podcast growling. Uh, and you can get everything, not just here, but across all sports, all teams, across the pond, you name it all in one, under one umbrella. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you after the game from Nashville. Have a good one.